Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 257. And Happy New Year's to all the Voyagers out there. I am in the Tampa area visiting family for the holidays. And as I always do when I'm traveling, I wanted to find somebody in the area that could talk about something that's foreign to New York. If you've ever traveled to this area, you know that gators are very prevalent. Now, (laughs) maybe we do have some gators in New York. Where I grew up in Long Island, there we had a neighbor who was keeping gators in like a a kiddie pool in the basement, like one of those big plastic pools that you fill up with water for kids. I think he might have also had some like big cats or something because something got out, which, you know, triggered the alarm of the neighbors and they called it in and it turned out this guy had all sorts of crazy stuff in his basement and he had gators. And then, of course, there's like all these like old school kind of urban legends about gators down in the sewers in New York. But I think probably most of that is fake. But here in Tampa, there are around one million gators. And I think that's about one for every 20 people in the state. So it's a lot of gators. And if you're unfamiliar with them, they look quite scary. They're dinosaurs. They're ancient. They eat things. They are apex predators. Um, But... They're pretty normal. Where I'm staying at a family member's house, we see them every morning out on the pond, and they don't do anything to you. But they can get pretty big and kind of gnarly, and admittedly a little bit scary looking. So I found Captain Phil Walters down here, and he does a few things in relation to gators. He's a nuisance trapper, so if a gator does... Eat Fluffy, your dog, or if it starts to become too familiar with people, meaning like it's coming way out of the water and up to a home repeatedly, people can call it in and Phil will get a call to come remove that gator. What he also does is he takes people on gator hunts, which is actual hunting and it's a full on experience that people can pay for. And then finally, he sells leather products made out of the skins or the hides of gators. So this is a world that I know nothing about. I researched a little bit so that I can talk intelligently in this conversation, but he's really the expert and the pro on this topic. So he's in the the Tampa Bay area, and he does these hunts also in in Alabama and Georgia. I believe he also said Mississippi. Uh, So... He was kind enough to have me over at his house and he had an airboat in his backyard with some swamp behind that. And we were able to sit on the the airboat and record this conversation, which was a really cool atmosphere and to to share a beer and to talk. Now, I know that Phil has some like very strong political beliefs and they don't match mine, but I think it's important to be able to show people that that can be the case And you can still have a civil conversation and you can still learn from each other, even if you don't agree with each other, even if you come from different places in the world, even if you're in a situation where maybe you don't like somebody. You know, you turn on the the news today and it's just, it's it's this way or that way and, and, and the other way is bad and it's people always at each other's throats. And so... I think it's important in, in my small way to show that you can come from, from different worlds. I can be, you know, in the eyes of some people in the South, a Yankee from up North, or I can be politically inclined one way or the other, and we can still sit down and, and, and talk to each other. So that's important to me. And also Phil is an expert in all things Gator. And it was really cool to get to see sort of the stages of the hides that he has at his place where he's got some full-on hides, which is like the whole, I guess it's nose to tail, the whole length of the back of the croc versus the finished product, which is belts and wallets and things like that. So uh, my voice is going here a little bit. So sorry that I sound a little weird today. But yeah, that's basically the gist of it. You can go to the link in the show notes or in the the podcast application that you're listening to this to, and you'll find a link to his site where you can book him as a guide if you're in any of those states that I mentioned, if you want to purchase some leather, or if you want to support 
the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast because I will have a link to my Patreon account. And that's a subscription-based service where you can give monthly and get some cool kickbacks like stickers, shirts, zines, or some cool things from my travels. All right, Voyagers, this is the first episode of 2020. I hope I have big things in store for this year. I hope you have big things in store for this year. Let's kick it off with this conversation. Enjoy this conversation with Captain Phil Walters. All right, Phil. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. I've recorded these in all sorts of locations all around the world. I've never sat on a boat, I don't think, while I've ever recorded. So this is quite a unique experience. So thanks for having me at your home here, man. Well, happy, happy New Year since it's New Year's Eve and you're taking me away from the national, <laughs> one of the national championship games. But oh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, there'll be some game on when we get done. All right. But uh, yeah, this is an airboat and airboats are made for specific use. They're shallow draft vessels. And actually, after Hurricane Katrina, uh, I was a part of a group that probably was the the, the maybe we, we could almost claim parenting the Cajun Navy, but we uh, dispatched at least 200 airboats from Florida doing relief work after Katrina. We were all over. I know one group of 12 airboats evacuated a hospital with 500 patients in it, and uh, that was one of the things we were trying to accomplish: is teach the first responders the life-saving capabilities of airboats because these things do not need water to run. Really, they run dry ground. And their capabilities are, are extraordinary. They'll run circles around the helicopters they had, the uh, inflatable vessels, uh, not even a comparison. It's like bringing, you know, a knife to a gunfight. So, uh, yeah, but they're sitting on an airboat. I've used this for hunting for many of the years. It's got a lot of battle scars in it from hitting stumps, running into rocks, gator bites on it, uh, a client slamming equipment into it, you know. Uh, if the paint could talk, I'm sure people have pissed in their pants while they've been out on this thing. So, uh, but anyway, this is one of my hunting boats. That's amazing. That that experience must have been insane going out after Katrina. Well, I didn't go because that's my time when I'm making money as a gator hunter. Ah. But the uh, the airboaters of Florida in the South are a very gregarious, uh, patriotic group. Uh, President Bush had called for Americans to help Americans, and they felt they saw the need because they know what their boats are capable of. And uh, the volunteers they loaded up and went out there to great personal risk. I know one that came back and died shortly thereafter. It was a very toxic environment. Oh, my God. Uh, just hauling an airboat out to, to Louisiana from Florida would run you about $1,000 out and back in fuel, uh, plus what you tear up on your boat. So they really did a heroic thing. Uh, but they were recognized for the uh, by the governor of Florida at the time, Jeb Bush, the cabinet of Florida, uh, and the U.S. Congress, because they really did save a lot of lives and make a lot of difference. But uh, again, it's just Americans helping Americans. And we had the uh, we had what was needed out there. And my role is, uh, I said, I got a background in marketing and sales and how to deal with people and communicate was to communicate to the uh, authorities who actually, the higher up you went on the authorities, they told you, don't go out there. We don't want volunteers. And we use the media to explain we have the tool that's needed here and the people that can handle it. Mm. A good old boy from Florida can handle a rough environment and will make do. And uh, that's who you need out there helping. And uh, we were doing, spending a lot of time in the media getting that message out uh, on the humanitarian efforts we could do. Yeah, we amazing. did make a difference. We did, uh, Mayor Nagan out there did recognize us after the fact because we really didn't have a lot of press. But uh, he did recognize us as a group for some of the life-saving and uh, humanitarian aid that we provided. Wow. How far will these go before you have to refuel? Well, they're, they're not very fuel efficient yeah, depending on the so. size of the engine. The one you're sitting on was normally powered by a 500-cubic-inch Cadillac engine, Whoa. and uh, it likes the fuel. My other one's got a 540-cubic-inch aircraft engine, and again, especially when you're running aircraft dry ground. Engine? Yeah, aircraft. It's an aircraft engine. Holy shit. I said 540-cubic inches, though. That's the, <laughs> that's the holy cow one, and they like fuel in them. They're really happy when they're full of fuel, Yeah. and they burn through it, buddy. Wow. When you're running dry, you're pretty much you know wide open uh, doing it, so... Uh, they're not nearly as efficient as a regular uh, vessel. Well, I was telling you before, I was trying to think of, uh, I'm here for a short amount of time. What is something that is unique to, to this area that I can't find in New York? Um, who is somebody that well, I could interview? Well, we know it's not Yankees. There's probably more Yankees <laughs> uh, from uh, New York here in Florida than up in, in New York. And unfortunately, looking at the highways, the southbound traffic since Governor DeSantis has come into uh, to power, has been not much heavier in the northbound traffic. The people that complain about Florida that are leaving. I got you. So, uh, but no, one of the things in the South, when you get down below Virginia, we have alligators in the South. They're generally uh, uh, in the lowlands. They go from North Carolina all the way out to Oklahoma to Texas. 
there's no shortage of them out Oklahoma. there. Most of those states, most of them have public seasons, so the public can hunt them. Uh, I've hunted uh, many of the states. I've hunted coastal Georgia regularly and, and Carolina. I've killed a lot of good gators up there. Most of the overpasses there in coastal Georgia on I-95, I've killed good gators within the side of those uh, you know, 11, 12-foot alligators within the side of those bridges. But they're but they're uh, people are fascinated by them. Generally, you know, in America, we're a very rich country. We think we're very urban, and it fascinates people that we have this ancient old dinosaur in close proximity to uh, mass development. And like here in Florida, we probably have they estimate over a million alligators. We got 21 million people in the state. We're the third most populated state. And as I try to explain to the uh, the alarmists who are going around Chicken Little, the sky's falling, global warming, everything's going to die. Most of our wildlife is doing extremely well with the conservation methods uh, uh, we've instituted the last 50 years. And the alligator in particular in urban environments, I mean, in downtown Tampa, I've taken 12-foot alligators out of, out of the parks down there. They're breeding. They're not just walking in from somewhere else because we imposed on them. They're there. They've been there. They're still there. And they're breeding. Lots of alligators everywhere. My girlfriend's from the Poconos in Pennsylvania, and it, they have black bears everywhere. Um, you know, you'll wake up in the morning and your trash is dragged down the block. I think it would probably surprise a lot of people to know even that, like, Florida has a pretty sizable bear population. Well, we got a lot of bear, and, and unlike uh, the, the great people of Pennsylvania who have enough common sense to open a season on them and let the locals go out and put the fear of God in them, in Florida, we're fighting with the environmentalists to get a bear season. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, population-wise, I, I believe, again, I'm not a biologist, but I believe, I've lived here my entire life, the carrying capacity of the habitat is at its at its top. We should thin them out. Bears are cannibalistic. They're territorial. They'll kill each other. And in turn, since we're not killing a lot of bears, they'll, again, kill each other. Or, you know, the little bear will learn, boo-boo will learn, I better leave because Papa Bear will kill me if he finds me. So he ends up out on the highway where not only does he get killed, but he maybe takes a tourist with him too. I guess that's not all bad, but bottom line is we'd be, we'd be better off for every, everything and everyone involved and all the animals. We'd be better off to have a public hunt and raise some money for conservation, and also uh, thin the herd out, get the carrying capacity to where it should be. But yeah, we got a lot of we got a lot of everything in this state. We got lots of things that can eat you, sting you, bite you, hurt you, fall on you. Uh, you got some big cats, right? Yeah, we got panthers. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, there's more of them. They admit to. Have you ever seen them? Uh, I've seen one. Mm, okay. Actually, there's one in my dad's yard about 20 years ago here. Whoa. They tell you they're the world's most endangered, but what they don't tell you, whether well, they're saying that, is they're very elusive. They don't want to be seen. And you could be living in close proximity to one. You'll see signs, but you won't see them. But, again, you really, for those of you living in the city, uh, I tell you, it's living next to some of these large carnivores, you're, you probably don't want to do that. They're not cute and cuddly, and they can really make your life miserable, in addition to eating you, your pet, or your children, if they really get down to it. For some reason, cats scare me the most because if you've ever watched, a, like, just a kitten play with a mouse, it's it's a savage, a savage act that they do. So something far bigger, I just picture, like, toying with a human being would be a, a, quite a vicious well, sight to see. people don't understand conservation or wildlife. Mm. Unfortunately, the media, if you watch TV, all they're going to feed you is their, is their agenda and, they, oh, everything's cute and cuddly and man's evil. The reality is things kill something all the time. Yeah. You have prey and predator. A prey species is there for the predators to eat and kill, or kill and eat, however you want to do it. Uh, and then you have actually a handful of things. I explained this to the animal rights people. They say people shouldn't kill anything. You know, you have a handful of animals that kill strictly for sport because they can. Cats are at the top of that list. Yeah. They trophy hunt. They'll kill something not to eat it or because they're hungry, but because they can and it entertains them. Wolves will do the same thing. Mm. And some of the other predators, dolphins are another one that'll kill also for fun. Whoa. So there's a handful of things when people are talking about anti-hunting, oh, you shouldn't hunt, you shouldn't. Nature is hunting. Mm. Conser uh, conservation is hunting. And when you get pull your head out of your butt and actually learn the facts of how things really work, you know, it, it's an eat or be eaten. That, that's an actual fact of the world. So mm. get used to it. And something's going to kill something sometime. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, man can sometimes add to the equation how and when it happens. Not an if it's going to happen. You were born and raised in Florida, Phil? Well, I was born in Georgia, but I've lived here my entire life. Okay, okay. My mother's originally from New York. You're part of the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were talking. Um, I'm originally from, from Long Island, and yeah, now I'm in Brooklyn, so we have some crossover. Yeah, she came from Brooklyn when it was uh, farmland, unlike you're probably familiar with. Oh, yeah, even where, where 
where I was born in Long Island, when my dad first got the house, it was all farmland, and now it's like no farmland at all. I don't even think there's any farmland out there in uh, Monotuck anymore, is there? There's still some stuff deep out there. It's kind of coming back a bit, which is a good thing to see. I had a farmer on from out there, um, but yeah, we're, 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 we're eating up a lot of the land. But uh, as a young man, or let, let's go further back, as a, as a kid here in Florida, did you have any experience like, with, with hunting gators at all? Well, I grew up on a lake. So the first gator ah. I remember catching, I was probably five or six. So I've been around these things. And again, if you're in Florida, you're in the south, the gators are everywhere. Mm. Now, whether you see them or not remains to be seen. But just like I was telling you about the panther, they're here. Mm. And all the times as a, as, a, as a trapper in the urban areas, people that go freak out when they see a gator somewhere, you know, I tell them, you're in Florida. They're everywhere. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Yeah, and we will uh, we'll clarify uh, when we get to the topics. But essentially, we're talking about multiple facets of, of what you do. Now, there's taking people out on hunting, but we were just talking about trapping. So let's, let's talk a little bit about nuisance trapping. It's curious to me because I just came from my mom. She lives in like a 55 and up type of a community. There's Five and six foot alligators are very common. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lake behind her house. It's actually in that area. There's some man-made ones. This is not a man-made one. It's natural. It, 15 feet from like the back of her lanai is water. And yeah, in the morning we go out there and we see gators. Seems quite normal. And they that's never. Why you don't have cat colonies in the neighborhood. Oh well, yeah, exactly. And, and the, the eagles and hawks help that too. Yeah. So are the coyotes. And yeah, she was just telling me about coyotes actually. <laughs> but you know, we go out there, and in the morning, the, the gators will be right there, no problem. Um, the biggest thing with a gator, as I tell people, there's all kinds of things out here that'll hurt you. While people are yelling and screaming about a gator, gator, gator. It goes back to perception. When you look at numbers, you are more likely to get hit and killed by a bolt of lightning in Florida than be attacked or mauled by an alligator. That's mm -hmm. just a fact. Look at the numbers. Slip and falls in bathrooms, kill and maim. I couldn't tell you how many thousands and thousands of Americans. And I bet you probably, when was the last time somebody was actually killed and attacked in Florida by an alligator? Maybe mm -hmm. there's one this year, but it's like there's been 40 recorded deaths in the last 70 years. When you look statistically, it's a nothing number. However, they do have the ability to hurt you. They can, they can do a lot to you or your pets, especially when they get over six or seven feet. But the main qualifier here is for the most part, gators instinctively want to avoid you. The problem comes when the people move here from somewhere else. They think they're in a Disney movie and they feed the gator and want to be its friends. That is not a good thing. You've acclimated that gator to people and food. They come. They'll eat your kid. They'll eat your dog if you don't have that food to feed them. And that's when we really bona fidely have to kill them. So that's like the line of demarcation then, like a gator Do that's... Do not feed the alligators. It's the same with bears up, well, up, bears up north. Too, yeah, yeah. yeah, same thing. Okay, so, yeah, that's what I was wondering because I would feel like a total asshole if we were like, okay, we have to call in this gator behind my mom's house that's doing nothing. So who do people call and, like... Well, they, they can call the state uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife uh, Conservation Commission. They have designated trappers under contract. Uh, if they, they'll, they, they, they issue a permit because there's so many laws and rules you have to follow, blah, 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 a lot of government paperwork. But a trapper will respond. The trapper will come out. He'll sum it up. Maybe he can educate the people if they don't know that it's, you know, it's not a problem. I see. He might educate them. If the gator's sitting there, he's probably going to catch the gator, <laughs> you know. But he also might, if the gator's not there, it's bolted, it's transient, uh, he'll calm the folks down, educate them a little bit. Because we're not, but we, by law, we don't have to deal with four foot and under alligators. They're not okay. a nuisance by law. However, we often will take them and accommodate somebody. But on the flip side, we also legally can release them anywhere we have legal access. So the roadside ditch, the back little pond at a park, they get tossed in there. So there's gators literally everywhere. But again, as long as they're not fed and they have a healthy fear of people and they're staying away from people, their pets... We and the gators can can co can coexist because like I said there's probably a million million and a half gators in this state. We got 20 million people living here and they're not too bright. I mean, we almost got this guy, this crackhead uh, former mayor of Tallahassee as our governor. We're 30,000 votes short, so we got a lot of people that aren't too smart. And 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 all these alligators, and then we got probably 120 million people that visit here every year. And how many attacks do we get? Very few. You're more likely to get hit on the walking on the sidewalk by a car than you are to be attacked by an alligator. 
And that trapping service, you're a volunteer, you were telling me. Well, we're under the, the nuisance trappers are under contract, but the, our compensation is unlike nuisance wildlife trappers who you pay good money, you know, armadillos and raccoons, they, they might get $100, $200 a piece to get them. Really? Gators, yeah, we can't charge for it, for the service. So it's a free service. Our compensation is you get to keep the alligator. Now, in the old days, the alligators market-wise were worth quite a bit of money. In the last 10 or 15 years, there's very little market for wild alligator hides. Why is that? Uh, it's a combination of things. It needs to be marketed, and the people in the alligator industry don't seem too interested in marketing the great American high-quality product they have, or they don't know how to do it. Mm. But there is a market for it. Uh, I think people like to do American products. They like the quality of alligator. I mean, it's a tough, when it comes to leather, the alligator is just the same old dinosaur as a leather purse as it is a dinosaur out there amongst the other animals. That stuff is tough leather, it's very cool, it's very chic, it's uh, top shelf leather, uh, it's very elegant. I mean, it's got a lot of stuff, plus the environmental story. I mean, hey, where'd that purse come from? Oh, it came from the uh, 17th hole of the Rocky Point Golf Course. You know, I mean, literally, we're harvesting thousands and thousands of gators from urban areas. Mm. So the conservation and environmental story behind the alligators is a great story, great marketing. Because I was back in the wine business days. I mean, you'd look for products that had a great story to go to. Oh, this is just another, you know, squish scrape in a bottle, uh, you know, made by some famous guy. I mean, the gator, you can go down many, many avenues and have a lot of fun with it as far as marketability. And uh, so, so again, I think there's a market out there, but unfortunately, the industry has done little to nothing to capitalize on it. Now, if if you're getting that gator as compensation, I'm assuming there's the meat also. But I know at least I don't know if it varies by state. You'll have to educate me on this. But I know that uh, at least from where I'm from, you can't sell wild game commercially. Like it has like your venison that you're eating from a store is like farmed venison. Can you sell gator meat? Uh, it varies by state. In okay. the state of Florida, uh, you can legally sell it. It's not a problem. But the, the, but for it to be sold, it has to be run through or processed through a state-inspected and licensed facility. So they just ah. want to make sure you get quality meat out there. So, yes, anybody that legally catches a gator, they take it to a processor that's licensed. They can have a process, and then they can sell the meat. Uh, I'm not sure about other states. I know Louisiana, I think they're a little bit looser because if you watch Swamp People, that's really what they're harvesting the gators for is meat more so than hide. Uh, other states, you, yeah, I'm sure the nuisance trappers sell the meat because it's a great meat market. Again, it's an organic meat. It's low in fat. Uh, it's very healthy. And of course, it's unique. And as I tell people, you know, and you get into the conversation, what are you eating? Well, we're eating gator. They usually there's a pause and it's like, well, you know, it's better you eat it than the other way around. Yeah. So uh, chew on it a little bit. And by the way, you're saving a poodle as you chew on that gator. Uh, so there's a good market on alligator. Actually, the demand outstrips the supply as we speak. Really? Yes. There's a big trend towards organic and locally sourced in your food production. Yeah, yeah for across sure. Across the board, any food. So keep in mind, the alligator is often locally sourced, locally produced in the local park or, or, or golf course or, you know, whatever, and uh, locally processed. And it's organic. I mean, they're not fed to anything. Yeah, I think that's come, great. Coming out of the wild. And actually, they don't taste too bad. Like I said, it tastes a lot better when you put that gator in your mouth than vice versa. I've only ever seen it, seen it fried. Like, do people prepare it other ways? It's uh, seafood. It's a delicate white meat. Uh, the way to cook it, the easiest way is, is fried. It also depends on the size of the gator. You know, small gators are tender. You know, those big, tough gators, you know, you need to take that two-by-four and whoop them a little bit. Mm. You know, just like I think Florida State did to the gators a few uh, few years ago, and they put them in the sugar bowl and beat them for four quarters. <laughs> uh, that's what you got to do with those big-ass gators. They are, they're a little tough, so you got to tenderize them. And, of course, uh, uh, a, a white meat like this, you can also use any type of uh, citric acid, you know, lemon juice, orange juice. Uh, some type of acid on there to marinate it. That also softens it up a little bit. And then when you fry it, this is the secret to it, folks. It's seafood. Don't overcook it. When I say a minute, it's a minute, like 60 seconds. Don't put it in the fryer for 10 minutes. You do, you're going to be bouncing it off the wall or putting it in your slingshot or using this bubble gum. Cook it quick, cook it fast, and it's good stuff. Is there a place nearby that, that does it well? I know there's a few, like, sports well, bars and stuff. Smokehouse used to be my go-to. They had closed down. I think they opened back up again. There's a few places around, uh, but, again, it's a limited supply. Yeah. And the demand outstrips the supply. So, you know, it's, it's hit or miss out here to find somebody that's got it. 
Does that have to do with population numbers of the gators or just there's a few hunters? We have a limited supply. The first thing is it's tightly controlled. Oh, on okay. The wild harvest, your two sources are the public hunt here in Florida and nuisance trapping. So that's very, very tightly controlled. And then you have the farm harvest, and the farms are already harvesting but four feet, five feet, so there's not a lot of meat on them. That's for the leather, because oh. that's where the farms are raising for leather. So again, it's a finite supply. And of course, when you have something really good, it's organic, and again, people like it, it's a novelty. They want, there's more demand than there is supply. Mm. How often do you get a call for like a, for nuisance trapping? Uh, it depends. There's five of us in this county. Uh, when the weather's warm, the, the calls are more uh, common. Right now, it's cooler, so the gators get lethargic. We don't get as many calls. Okay. What do you use, like, so if, if someone calls, obviously you're not there the next minute. Uh, what do you use to sort of draw them out if you have to? Well, we, I'll go and assess the situation. I'll talk to the people uh, to start with and assess it. Sometimes I'll just talk to them on the phone. It's, oh, my God, it's a gator. How big yeah. is this? Two foot. Oh, it's going to eat the house. It's going to eat the car. It's Godzilla. You don't live in Crystal River by the nuclear plant. It's not Godzilla, so it's not going to eat you. It's two foot. It couldn't even eat a Chihuahua puppy. So sometimes complaints like that, some education on the phone, we, we're pretty good to go. You know, Or I'll tell them, I can't catch what I don't see. Are you looking at the gator? No. Well, when did you last <laughs> see the gator? A week ago. Okay, well, you need to come out. Okay, well, I cannot catch what I do not see. So if we don't see the gator, I can't catch the gator. So maybe you should just call me when you see him. Mm. You know, because they, they come and go. I'm telling you, these urban gators, a six-foot gator is probably anywhere from 5 to 12 years old. He's been around the block. He also probably knows don't hang around too long. He might end up dead. So they don't sometimes stay in an area too long. But again, I'll, I'll talk to the folks. We'll, we'll sum it up. Sometimes I'll go out, and if I see the gator, you know, maybe I'll set a trap. Sometimes I can call them in. They'll call them, come on a grunt. You can call, talk to them a little bit, you know, like, that's like the sorority girl, you know, saying I've had a few beers. <laughs> hey, you look cute. Yeah, right. But anyway, sometimes they'll come into that. We can just, you know, put a hook on them and grab them and be gone. Uh, oftentimes, though, they, like I said, these urban gators are educated. They didn't get to be six, eight, ten feet or so by being stupid. They know if they hang around people too long, we're going to eat them, not the other way around. So they don't stay around. Uh, I think overall for myself, and most of these other trappers, we probably get about 25% of the gators or the permits we get, we fill about 25% of the permits. Wow. So like I said, most of the time a permit comes in, you won't see a gator on it. That's really interesting. So do you, I don't know if the right word is process. Like I know that you're not necessarily like the leather manufacturer, but if you're taking the hide of a, of a gator, Who's actually doing that? Who's actually cutting the skin off and then there stripping it? There are licensed in? processors around the state. Okay. I'll tell you this. Everything to do with an alligator is a royal hemorrhoid. Everything. Super tough, I'm assuming. Everything to do with an alligator. Yeah. <laughs> People, I got to say this three or four times. Everything to do with an alligator is a royal pain in the butt. Mm. Okay, from the hunting of them, from their, their, their composition to the laws involved, the people you got to deal with, the skinning of them, the tanning. It's a niche. It's complicated. It's not easy. It's a state secret. Nothing to do with an alligator is easy. Okay, so I'll say that. Skinning them, it's not like skinning a deer or a hog for you guys that, that hunt regularly. If you think a hog is a pain, a gator is going to make that look very simple. Mm. It takes a year and a day to skin a gator correctly, and there's some process you have to go through. Because basically, gator is a delicate, white, elegant, organic meat wrapped in a crappy wrapper, covered mm. with bacteria and all kinds of crap. So there's a process you got to do before you even put a knife to them uh. if you want it you know, to have good, clean, edible meat. So, And, and again, once you even get the skin off... Getting them tan, that's, there's only a handful of tanneries in this world know how to do it right. It's a difficult skin to tan. Mm. Uh, it's a difficult skin to work with. Gator, unlike cow, I want our shoes made. Well, give me your size. Well, yeah, I'm kind of close. I'll stretch it. Your feet will be reshaped before gator stretches. You better get it right because, again, it doesn't give. It's a very tough leather. And unlike cow hide and all that other stuff that's pretty uniform across its length, a gator hide varies by scale pattern to wear from the leg to the belly to the tail to the, to the chin. Uh, I mean, you really, it's like going from checkers to chest. You really have to think ahead of time what you're going to make uh, from a certain hide and what you can make from it as far as natural scarring or holes cut while skinning, 
it, it's a process. And again, everything's nothing, nothing is easy to do with this if you want it done right. So if we're talking about trapping or hunting, if you, if you Phil, are supplying the, you're, you're supplying the raw material, like that's your place in the, the product chain. Are you also then like getting the finished product and selling leather products? Well, let me try to decipher here how to put this. Okay. As I told you earlier, there's, there's many distinct areas that I'm involved in. Okay. Nuisance trapping is one. Sport hunting, guiding outfit is, is another. And then uh, selling the finished leather items. When you get into the, uh, the hunting, I want to say, okay, on the hunting side, that's where I'm available to the public. I provide a service for people in need. Generally, the people that get picked whatever state to hunt gators and they want a professional to take them out and keep them safe and follow the laws, that's where I'm hired. Uh, was that kind of in the realm of what you were the question you were asking? Yeah, I was thinking that um, when we're talking about leather products, I guess, like you are actually supplying the raw material. So let's okay. say we're making desks. It would be like you supplying the wood from a tree. Okay, now on leather goods, yeah. Now that's a whole nother world. Yeah. So let's take off the hunting hat. We already got a dead gator. It's already gone through the process. I got to deal with all these people to get them skinned, get, get them to the processor, get them to the tannery. Now I got a stack of gator hides. From that point, I got something that's marketable, but who's going to buy it? Exactly. You know, there's yeah. a handful of people that want to mount a gator hide or have a, have a rug. Uh, what's more common is people that want to manufacture something from it. So I got to market to them, find them, identify them, market to them. If they're familiar with alligator, they are. Most aren't. So if you get somebody new, you got to start explaining to them, eh, you're not going to do that with a gator. Uh, but, but most of what I do is I just have the goods then further manufacturing the products, belt, wallets, holsters, purses, whatever, and then I sell them. Because it's a little easier to say, here, I have this, and here's what you can do with it and use it. Rather than say, here's a hide, let's see, you want to make your girlfriend a gator bikini and yourself some chaps or make, <laughs> make a motorcycle seat, you really got to think, then you got to find somebody to actually make it, somebody right. that knows how to work with gator. It's a lot easier selling the products when they're finished. Right, this is a belt. Right. You know how to use a belt? Even I know you know how to use a belt. I know you've been in office and elected six times, but I think you're capable of knowing how a belt operates. Of course, do, you'd be surprised there about sizing. <laughs> do some of your hides go to, like some of, like we were talking about before, those high-end companies, and that's not your product in the end? No, no, no. Okay. When I was talking to you earlier about the high-end, those are conglomerates that provide, you know, luxury items across the world, like uh, Louis Vuitton is a part of a group. Mm. Uh, you know, you pick, pick, pick your high-end name, uh, Philippe Pate, uh, uh, Waterford Crystal, you know, they're all parts of conglomerates. No, they're marketing. They know who their millionaires and billionaires are and they market to them. Okay. Uh, what I do is, again, there's a market out there and I'm kind of working outside of the established market, basically saying there's a lot of people, like when I was in the wine business, they'd like good wine, but if you put the wrong wine in front of them, they're going to think it tastes like crap. Mm. If I put the right stuff in front of them and they impress all their friends and it actually is palatable, they're going to come back and say, that was really great, I like it. Mm. And that's how I view the gator. There's a lot of opportunity out there, but you kind of got to qualify your, your customers and educate them to what they got or what, what, what the opportunities are here and what, what advantage it is to them. I see. And, 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 and again, sell them on the sustainability, the environmental friendliness, the uh, exclusivity, maybe the snob appeal, whatever it may be. There's just a lot there with alligator. But you generally, again, you got to sit down. I want to say sell it. It doesn't sell itself. So those high-end companies, I'm assuming they have some kind of contract with, like, farmed have, leather. They, like. Well, they, they now have contracts with the farms, the alligator yeah. farms. And, again, they're a pipeline because it comes out of the farms, goes to them. They have their great tanners. They tan it. They got their great manufacturers. And then they got a pipeline to the retailers. Because, like I said, you only find alligator currently at ultra, ultra high-end retail locations. That's I wonder, it. I wonder what happens with that meat from, from oh, those. The meat, goes to, the meat goes out and hits the market. But again, uh, okay. there, you know, when you have an established business relationship, and that was established 40 years ago and the gator came off the endangered list, you know, you want to continue to supply those customers. It's not a good idea to go out and try to sell it everywhere and, and just basically piss people off. So that's why the people that have been carrying gator for 30, 40 years, they're still supplied, and the new ones are having a hard time because, again, you want to take care of your old customer that was there when nobody knew what gator was. So, again, mm -hmm. with a limited supply, you don't want to go out there 
and open a lot of doors. I explained that to a few people when they came into the business, you know, how not to piss off a retailer. Because I used to work with a lot of allocated wines. And you explain to somebody, you know, right off the bat, I cannot keep you an unlimited supply of this stuff. Take Louis Rodier Cristal comes to mind. I mean, it's very, very finite and very limited. And uh, no, I can't get you. You want five boxes? No, I can't get you five boxes. I can get you two bottles. Mm. So it's a wise idea to know what you're dealing with and how finite it is and keep your customers happy. When, you, again, your customer understands what you're dealing with, you know, you can do it. I uh, walked one guy through. He, he put a, a drop of Gator, I don't know, it was four or five years ago in Publix. And he had asked me about it. I said, yeah, I had experience with Publix. So I said, here's how you need to do it. And again, don't go in there and tell them you're going to supply them 365 days a year because you can't. But for a one-time pop, and they like one-time pops because they're customers that apparently it went pretty good. But, you know, tell them up front, you know, if you want to do it again, we got to talk about it because I, I don't have another, you know, 500,000 pounds alligator meat sitting around, and nor can I get it. Was it overhunted at one point? Why was it endangered? They were. You, you, the, 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 this is a topic. I mean, we could spend okay. hours on, on this topic, but you have to understand uh, conservation has only been around about 100 years since Teddy Roosevelt. Right, right. Prior to that, this is the problem with all these people, the revisionist people that want to rewrite history, tell you this and that. They're out, they pick and choose what they want. They have no idea how the world operated yesterday. Mm. And prior to Teddy Roosevelt and the conservation movement coming on, our natural resources are viewed as infinite, and they would conquer you if you didn't conquer it. So everything's unlimited. It's always going to be around. And if you don't take advantage of it, somebody else will, or it'll be gone, uh, or it'll, it'll consume you. So the views of 100, 200 years ago are totally different than what we're looking at today. So can you say they're over 100? Well, let's put it this way. We didn't have conservation measures. And again, it's unlimited. It doesn't matter. Land, trees, buffalo, pick something. It was all there for the taking. It was unlimited. If you don't take it, somebody else will. So be careful how you say, was it overhunted? Okay. Okay. So it wasn't overhunted. It was maybe over. Uh, I don't want to say utilized. I don't think the gator was even eat, eaten very much 100 years ago. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. They were shot because they were considered, because again, you have to understand 200 years ago when people were settling an area, if you had a predator there, whether it's a panther, a bear, a bobcat, whatever, eagles, hawks, those things ate your food source. There was no government to provide you food if you lost your food source for whatever reason. You starved and died. Dead. Died. Done. Okay? So... Predators, and an alligator is a predator, just like a bear, an eagle, a hawk, a coyote, right. a wolf. And when you were you know, out in the wilderness and these things were eating your food sources and or eating you or your children or family, you killed them. That was your view. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But that's how you survived. If you didn't believe that then, you were dead and you weren't or your DNA wasn't around. We have a totally different perspective these days. The Everything has changed. The demographics have changed. So, and again, we've learned a lot since then. Am I correct in thinking that unlike crocodiles in, in Africa and in Asia, that for gators here in Florida, like there is no other like apex predator that's comparable that would, you know, put up a fight against the gator. Like they're basically top of the food chain here. Once they get over about four feet, a, a little gator, his only predators are me. Yeah. Bigger <laughs> gator. That's probably about it. There's not much else. I mean, a bear ain't going to mess with them. A panther's not going to mess with them. Uh, they're cannibalistic, so a big gator will eat them. Really? But, it, but, it, but it's limited. Like I said, once they get over four or five feet, what's, what's going to hurt them? There's not much out there that will at that point. Okay. Smaller, when they're hatched out the first year, everything eats them. The turtles, the bass, the gar. Uh, the oh. birds, I mean, everything eats a little gator. Gotcha. Once they get up about five, five feet, eh, that changes. Gotcha. All right, so I'm really interested in hunting and the experience of hunting gators that you're able to provide for people. So um, I was thinking, and, and we were talking about this a little bit before we recorded, that you know, unlike hunting a lot of other animals, you sort of have to be up in its face, in its habitat, which adds like a whole new element of, I don't know if the word is danger or it, it's, it's, it's new and it's unique as compared to other forms of hunting. Um, so can you, can you take me through like what that process is and how you actually catch and, and kill a gator? Well, you're right. The gator hunting, I mean, I, when I got into it, I realized early on from my sales background that I was into something unique that people are going <laughs> to love. They're just going to love it. Now, again, it goes to educating them why do they love it. 
You know, or do you have something here that's going to be, oh, humbug, it's a niche, or everybody's going to love it. And it became what I knew it would be. The hunting has far outstripped everything else involved with alligators, the meat, the hides, the blah, blah, blah. People love it. And there's many reasons. There's a lot of excitement involved. But but here's the thing. When you're normal hunting, something, an animal, your prey's out there, hunting, fishing, it's out there. You got to learn. You got you to shoot it, put it down, get control of it. So that that that's kind of how it works before you can take it. With gator hunting, here there's a lot of specific rules for the states that, that have the, the gator seasons, and they're all pretty similar. And what sets gator hunting apart, you don't shoot them. Contrary to that swamp people, you don't shoot them, mm. okay? What you have to think of, it's a total different mindset. It's not hunting, it's not fishing, it's not trapping. It's kind of a combination of all the above. Uh-huh. And what you have to realize is, before you can kill them in any, just about all of these states, you have to subdue them. So you're not out there to kill something, put an arrow, a bullet in it. You're there to subdue it, to capture it, to dominate it. Hmm. So it's a mindset. And that's what I try to tell people. You got to get in the right mindset to understand how things flow and when you use certain equipment and techniques. But you got to know where it is first because you can't, like I said, you can't take something you don't see or don't know where it is. Once you know where he is, then you can start the process of, of restraining him. And it's sometimes a process. You start with one line, go to heavier lines. And at the end of it, when you can harvest him and legally kill him, you got to have him basically by rule dominated. And that means, like I said, I got, his, I, got his, I got old big boy tied off next to the boat. He, you ain't going nowhere. I own you, USOB. What's he tied with? Well, I got multiple lines. I'm not saying tie. That's maybe I shouldn't use okay. that. I tell people, do not tie a live gator to okay. your boat. <laughs> they either come in the boat or they're going to sink your boat and eat you. Do not do that. But we have multiple lines on them. Generally, they're harpoon lines. They're ropes. I'll put in a big gator three or four harpoons. At that point, I own him, and I will whip him. I will make him expend all of his energy, fashion and carrying on. And then I'm going to subdue him. I'm going to tape his damn jaws up. Once his jaws are taped, he's done. I'm sticking a knife in him. Whoa. I usually name him after my favorite Democratic New York politicians like Chucky or Ralphie or some of those other great people you all have up there. But we'll stick a knife in him. Yeah, an unregistered knife. We don't shoot him. We knife him. Into its brain, I guess? We sever their spine. Okay. Now, some states allow you the use of firearms to shoot them. Uh, once again, when they're restrained, properly restrained, not free-ranging, but restrained. Uh, I found it safer because in Florida, you can't use a firearm. You use a bang stick. I've had problems with it because after you explain to somebody three or four times how to use it, they're pissed in their pants because this gator's literally at their feet, and they think that Godzilla's going to jump up and eat them or start taking body parts off, which I'm like, no, that's not going to happen unless you're really stupid. And what is a bang stick for people it's who— It's basically a shell cartridge on the end of a stick. It fires on impact. We commonly use a 38 Special uh, 37 Magnum. Fires on impact, which is best used underwater, and I have to tell people don't hit them where to hit the gator, how to hit it. You know, they never get it right. They hit the, the foot, the tail, the above water, below water, because if it's used properly, it's very, it's silent. It's, uh, it doesn't cause an issue. If you use it improperly, it can be very, very dangerous. And hitting a gator head above water with a bang stick is not, it's like shooting a piece of concrete between your feet. Hmm. But uh, anyway, we generally knife them. Uh, we subdue them. We whip them. So we name them after our favorite uh, politicians. And uh, once they're subdued and their energy is spent, we tape them up and, you know, lights out. Have you ever been injured by one? Uh, nuisance trapping uh, two years ago. I got bit for the first time, and I'm over the age of 60. So, Where did uh, it get you? He got my thumb. My thumb slipped off the top of his head while I was trying to tape up a nine-footer alive. Oh, my God. And uh, I, I didn't notice, and my buddy kind of noticed because he heard when the gator chomped down on my thumb. And he says, did he get you? I said, yeah. And I said, you got your gun? He says, yeah, because this guy is a deputy. And I said, shoot him. And, of course, he immediately shot him. So this thing was over in like two seconds. It could have. Uh, oh, it could have. I can't believe off. you have your thumb, me. yeah. Nine foot gator. Oh, yeah. Because they'll, they'll. So, like I said, nuisance trapping is much more dangerous in my book. Okay. Uh, but, again, I mean, you, you pay attention. You do this. You do that. You, you turn your back. So I'm not saying gator hunting is dangerous per se. But I will say it's like like a powerman, a lineman working you know, to keep power in your house. You're working around stuff that can hurt you if you lose focus for even a moment. The, you can get hurt doing this oh, stuff. And the equipment that's involved, uh, the adrenaline. You know, I got to tell people, you got to stay focused. And as a guide, more than once, I've smacked people in the back of the head when I tell them three times something and they're ignoring me. You know, I make damn sure they uh, certain that they understand what I'm communicating to them. 
Because again, I don't like uh, you know the surprise factors. I don't like paying the doctors if I don't have to. Yeah, I think that be- probably because of like the prominence of social media platforms and Instagram and stuff like that. People people get to see worlds that they're not normally privy to or they're not an expert in and they want to join that. And I would imagine that there's probably plenty of people who are like, oh, I'd love to go on a gator hunt that are just like wholly unprepared to do so once they get there. Well, yeah, I'll say this about, you know, I'm a free market libertarian guy, so it's great we have all the, the, the information out there, but here's the thing. What's your source information? Do these people know what they're doing? Are they legal? Are they ethical? Are they doing it correctly? So that's the problem. Before we just had limited media, it's it's you're going through your what you're seeing is the bias of that media. They're only going to put on what they want you to see. Now you see everything. I mean, you name it, it's out there on the internet. And mm. I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. It's out there. So the question is, are what you're looking at, is this common? Is it legal? Is it ethical? Is it something you want to do? Uh, you know, is this something you want to mimic? Because all the time I tell people, because uh, I educate many folks on this, I've taught, you know, trained many guides. You know, you take that crap you saw on TV or on the net and throw it away because it's going to get you in trouble. Mm. It'll get you hurt or it's unethical or it can get you, you know, it's illegal. So we're going to throw that out the window and we're going to start anew and I'm going to teach you correctly because there is some no- nuances to gator hunting that is unique to the sport. And like one of them early on, I tell people, we used to hunt all night. I said, you know, when you hunt all night, you don't get any sleep, you can get hurt. Hmm. Like a sleep will get you killed. That's so a gator you, bite. It's like a sleep. Drive down the highway, pull on a boat, or you fall off your boat. Boating at night has its own risks. There's factors that get you hurt. It's not the, everybody the gator bite, the gator bite, the gator bite. Most people, not most, not all, but most have enough sense to stay away from a pissed off biting gator. Stay away from the mouth. Not all, but most. But it's the other things around. We got hooks. We got harpoons. We got knives. We got lines. We got... Like I said, you're boating at night. People get excited. That's where you can get hurt. You're driving without sleep. You're doing things on adrenaline. People are pissing in their pants. The opportunity to get hurt is out there. Trust me, it's out there. And that's where the curve, you know, we try to smooth out with folks is, I'm going to tell you, again, the facts and where you need to pay attention. And like I said, most of my clientele comes out very well. We've had very, very few instances over the years, but I have had a few. But again, as a guide, there's been more than once I've grabbed somebody by the back of their scruff of their neck and just shook them around to say, get your damn shit together because, again, this is not how we're going to do it. They primarily feed at night. That's why you go at night? They're more active at night, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes people get focused on things. Like I said, oh, my God, that's Godzilla. It's going to eat me. That thing for millions of years has been looking for me my DNA. It's going to suck me down and eat me. No, but this captain's going to put his foot (laughs) up your butt if you don't listen to what the hell I'm telling you. So you got to keep people focused. And like I said, it's not all the time, but every so often I got to do that. And I will throw this out to you ladies who want to go shopping, you know, in the swamp for your accessories. Uh, you ladies pay a lot better attention than the guys because sometimes the guys want to tell me how to do things, which then you should hire somebody else. But the ladies usually, I tell you once, you follow it, you get your purse, and we're done. Mm. So the women seem to have a, better, a little bit better record at following instructions. I, I'd imagine it's... it's- Probably quite buggy. Like, what are the conditions like when you're out there? It just depends. I mean, uh. sometimes you can hunt them in the day, sometimes at night. Uh, some places, yeah, there's bugs out of there. You don't open your mouth. If you leave your mouth open, you're, you know, one of those guys, one of those nerds <laughs> with a mouth open. You might end up 30 pounds heavier when we come in. Uh, oh, generally, it's nice. I mean, if the weather's nice, I mean, they're pleasant hunts. People, uh, when I, in the early days, when I was taking out just anybody gator hunting, uh, the most common thing was look up at the star sky and see oh, the stars. It's amazing. Uh, but the wildlife you see, I mean, you're out at night. Uh, uh, it's, just, it's just a unique experience. And people are just like, wow, this is really cool. And like I said, in the early days when it was a quota hunt, we're just putting bodies in that get out in the boat because we're hunting for market. I was taking out lots of people that didn't hunt. And just about everybody that went out said, this is great, man. This is what I said. I, people don't know what the hell they're sitting on. And when you're taking out people that don't hunt, don't fish, don't boat, and they're eating it up alive, you know you're sitting on something that, man, people are going to like this. Yeah. And that was the response overall. I mean, everybody had a good time. Of course, I did it safely, did it legally, so we didn't end up in jail because there's a lot of ways to end up in jail or with tickets. And uh, like I say, everybody that went out had a good time, just about everybody was ready to go out again. Does each person apply for, like, a unique tag or something like that? It depends on the state. It's generally by a geographical area of the state, but they uh-huh. got to apply and— uh, you know, some of these states issue a lot of tags. Florida issues six or seven thousand, which is, uh, or permits rather, because we get two tags and a permit. 
but that's more than any of the other states. I know Georgia issues about a thousand tags, South Carolina about a thousand, Alabama, I'm guessing three to four hundred. Mississippi might be up around six six to seven hundred or so, though they were issued, I think, two tags on a on a permit too. So it depends on the state, but the rules are pretty similar again as to how you're gonna do how you're gonna harvest them. Okay. Where uh, where do you primarily go in Florida when you're going gator hunting? I have my backyard. <laughs> I mean, they're everywhere. I mean, yeah. some of the lakes I like. Okeechobee's been producing for years. Some mm. of the bigger lakes produce. The bigger ones, we killed them off, you know, a while back. And the ones that are left, I'm not saying there isn't any big gators out there, but there's a lot. they're a lot fewer and further between, and they're a lot more nervous than they used to be. Really? They know, listen, they didn't get to be this be around for millions of years by being stupid. And, and again, live here in the urban areas by being stupid. They know a threat. They know their habitat. They're smarter than deer, which when I first started hunting them, I thought they were dumb as a box of bricks, but yeah, yeah they'd never been hunted. They had no fear of people. That person, oh, I'm going to eat his bass. He's going to feed me. Life is good. And that's how they looked at it. Now that we've been hunting them 30 years, they're like, that damn redneck wants to eat me. I'm staying the hell away from them. So they've learned and they've evolved. They are not a stupid animal. On your website, you have like pictures and news articles and I think even like a listing of some records of some of the biggest ones that have been caught on your hunts. What's the biggest gator you've seen? Well, we've, we've harvested a number of them over 13 foot back years ago. Uh, what they're entering in Safari Club now, some of this, I don't even want to get into that issue because it's a measuring question, which Safari Club, if it's got horns on it, they get all excited. If it doesn't have horns, they don't seem to care about it. Do they have to, like, send, like, an official person? Well, everything else, yeah, it's well documented when it comes to like, Yeah, just measure it. And the thing is, the official measurement for Safari Club is uh, tip of the nose, tip of the tail, okay. uh, full animal down the back. And I know for a fact some animals have been entered in there. Uh, their skins, they skin them. You get a 10% stretch on the skin. Mm. So my, my clients have entered their 12s and 13-foot gators. If we had measured them the way they've entered some recently, uh, skinned out, I mean, they'd be 14 feet too. But uh. they're, they're, they weren't. And that's the problem is that the people didn't uh, tighten down on it as far as the registration and document everything the way it should have been documented. But yeah, we've uh, at one time my clients had seven of the top ten Safari Club International Record Book alligators, but wow. that was decades ago. Uh, and killing the big ones anymore, I mean, on, on hunts in the public season, uh, one of the common methods they're using in Florida now is baiting them. And to me, baiting baiting an alligator, mm. saying you're hunting a gator with bait is like picking up a fat chick at the buffet. Mm. You know, it's just not very sporting. I'm not saying it's not legal, it's not ethical, but I don't bait. So, so how do you... How, we run up on them, basically harpoon them or find them out in open water and snatch hook them. Whoa. So wherever. I mean, it depends where, where we're hunting, but it, it's sporting, I tell you that. And you people miss all the time. You know, all the time people miss. But, uh, you know, we could probably tighten it up and kill a few more big ones we want to do. But again, I'm going to keep it on the sporting end. And I don't take this too serious. Somebody's that serious. They got to have some. Well, then go to the guy that's got private land. He's got a 13-footer swimming around. He's going to charge $1,000 a foot. And probably be in and out of there in an hour or two. And you're going to get them as long as your check's good. You'll get your gator. Mm. But uh, that's not me. That's not me. Again, I got no, it's ethical, it's legal. I got no problem with it. But it's a whole different story writing a check for those big deer, those guys. I got an 18-point deer. How much of a check did you write for that thing? Versus the guy that goes out on public land, gets a six-pointer, and this is 14-point guy sitting there bad-mouthing. It's like, I know that guy spent four, you know, a year chasing that deer, and he got it. So it's the same with the gator. I got nothing against it, fine, but you wrote a check for it. You didn't go out there and spend wits and, and, and conquer them. You know, you mentioned uh, deer hunting. My perception of this might be totally wrong, so you correct me, because obviously I, I don't come from this world. I just get to talk to people, um, which I'm very fortunate to do. But my perception is that um, probably, and we don't even have to get into it, but largely due to like what's put out in the media, Hunting as sort of a lifestyle be started becoming less popular, but now it seems to me that there are like some high-profile podcasters and people who are trying to really educate the the population, and it's starting to come back around. You mentioned, yeah, like when I was very young, we hunted gator, of course, like as if it's such so natural. And it, it, to me, that seems like probably it was at one time. Like, but I'm wondering if if that has changed at all. Um, 
And if so, like, is it coming back around in terms of popularity? Well, you have many factors at play here, mm. okay? And it's sad. It's sad. Because I'll, I'll tell you, one big one is follow the money, mm. okay? Follow the emotion, follow the money. We had two generations, three generations ago, most Americans were on a farm. They understood the cycle of life. They understood basic biology. They understood where their food came from. Now, unfortunately, and this is sad, you go down your street in New York, ask me, where does that egg come from? Right. You'll get a lot of people, I don't know, it comes from the grocery store. Right. Well, where did it come from before the grocery right. store? They Why have is that no egg? clue where it came from. Why is that egg pearly white? <laughs> but they have no clue. I right. mean, it's sad. It's really sad yeah. that they have no clue where their food comes from. And again, when you get into the hunting, non-hunters, anti-hunters, there's big money in animal rights groups. And this is a lie that hunters, hunters are conservation. I don't care anywhere in the world, if you didn't have hunters, you wouldn't have any damn animals today. You'd have nothing out there in the environment for these environmentalists to complain about. Mm. So I look, when the, what you hear an environmentalist complain about hunting, that's an ignorant person that should be looking in the mirror thanking the hunters. Because that, when it's hunting, it's legal, it's ethical, the populations are under control. Nothing's going to go extinct hunting. You want to protect it? Hunt the darn thing. That's a fact. I don't want to argue with any of these emotional people who, oh, you shouldn't kill an animal. You're evil. I've gone down the road with them. And the thing that they don't understand is, again, then get your cat to stop killing. All right, people are murderers. We murder all these deer and all these cute little birds and ducks. You should stop killing the little fish. Get your felines, your cats, to stop killing. They trophy hunt. They kill for sport. That is called nature. There are things out there that hunt and kill things. So are you going to stop all killing? Or is it just emotionally, you're just not good with humans killing something? Mm. And that's, that's, to me, they cannot justify their point at that, at that from there. They cannot. It's absurd. Because right. things, like I said, there's prey species, there's uh, predators. Predators kill stuff. That's what they do. So if you don't like death and you don't like blood, look at your predators. If people knew what wolves did and saw the, the you know, same with the, the felines and some of these others, you'd have a different outlooks. So again, people that are against hunting, they are not educated or they've been, had a bad experience. Because mm. it, it should be, most people should say then, well, I don't hunt, I'd like to. Or I don't hunt, I'm not able, it's not my gig. But there shouldn't be anybody saying hunting is bad because without hunting, you know, a lot of this stuff's going to tank. And the, like in Africa, the money for conservation comes from hunting. No hunting, no money for conservation. Again, there is this, is a, these other world, these other countries are not America. They don't have unlimited funds. And when the natives have to live with things that can eat you and eat your cows and everything else comes to threaten them, they'll kill it. They thank these hunters for coming in and paying good money to hunt them, and which they still get to eat. And again, that provides the, uh, the money for biological research, for conservation efforts, for law enforcement. And these anti-hunters have no clue, once again, how, where, or how things economically work. And a lot of times, their emotion is very detrimental to everything involved, the animals, the environment, and the people. Yeah, th that's something that I've been learning more about. And I think there's even like, there, there's certain species of animals where the male will be past reproductive age, but he'll be top dog and he'll even kill like younger males who can reproduce. And oftentimes that is an animal that gets taken out in places like Africa and the money for that tag goes into conservation. Well, people don't understand it's a war. It's a nasty, cruel world out there. Because again, mm. we're a rich country. We're urban. We haven't had any problems. But you just look back a few generations. We had a quote, civil war, which wasn't a civil war, it was a tax war, but we had a million American casualties here in this country, and half the country was burned out, and it's people starving. That happened here in this country. People don't think it can happen anymore. I mean, two generations ago, it happened in Europe. They don't think these things now. Trust me, it's humans. It, history repeats itself. And that's where I think in America, we're, we, we miss the boat on comprehending the world and how it really operates and how special we are here and how you should take some time to educate yourself and how the world actually works, not the way you think it works or the way you think it works because you have the money to, to basically live that fantasy, you know, uh, reality. Uh, but yes, hunting is part of conservation and conservation works. And if it wasn't for the hunters and conservation, we would have no animals. There wouldn't have been an environmental, you know, starting out there because that all started with the hunters mm. and they're still at the core of it. Because, again, you can be all this great bleeding environmentalist in New York City, but if you're not out in the swamps and the woods and the mountains and the meadows and, and in the bayous knowing what's going on, you're not much of a conservationist. Mm. And the people that are out there in those places are generally your hunters and fishermen and sportsmen.
So you, everybody that you live in those cities, you can thank the people when you get a chance to visit these places and see what's there. Those were the first people that actually stopped and protected these places and have them why they are there today. So thank your hunters and fishermen and the people out there and recreating uh, and enjoying it. I want to be able to send people in the direction of your business, right? So if, if people are interested in coming to, like you mentioned, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and, and going on a hunt, or if they're interested in gator products, like how can they, they get involved in all that? Well, the easiest way to find me is go online and you can Google gator or just go to gator guides. That's plural, gatorguides.com. I should pop right up. You Google Captain Phil Walters and put in search words like uh, alligators or bears or hunting or mm. uh, even Confederate. I should pop right up. Uh, my website's a little outdated because, again, I'm semi-retired, you know. But uh, you go there, there's a lot of information there if you want to hunt. Uh, I got products there, belts, wallets, purses, holsters, which we would, of course, love for you to, to, to buy. Uh, my prices on these items, I, I only deal with first-class manufacturers. And I'll tell you, my prices are below wholesale because I'm a vertical producer. Mm. You know, I do everything from grab them to, to, like I said, sell the final product. And there's very, there's no other big outfits that can say that. Mm. They're there every time this gator passes hands, it's 100% march up, markup on it. So I got some great values. And again, if you want to say success in America, you know, prior to these things going on the endangered list, uh, alligator was a status symbol. Uh, only very successful people wear it. And like I was trying to tell the people in swamp, the show Swamp People, you need to be talking about alligator leather out there when you're hunting and say things like, uh, well, gee, you know, I wouldn't hire a realtor or a lawyer if they didn't have an alligator briefcase because they're not very successful. They can't afford one. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't do that, and we're not, we haven't developed much of a market for the uh, leather products. I said the meat far outstrips the, uh, the leather. But uh, for those of you that like American-made items, you like things that are very nice and last a lifetime, they're almost heirloom items. Uh, they got a great story behind them, and they're environmentally friendly and locally sourced. Alligator leather is, is one area to look at. It's, it's mm -hmm. a great item. And yes, like I said, I got plenty of it. I got hides. Uh, you want to have stuff made out of hides, like I said, a, a bikini for the girlfriend, a seat for your motorcycle, chaps. You know, we can probably line you up with some, uh, some people that can make the stuff for you. But I got, I got the hides. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, the items are available. I say you can go online, look me up, gatorguides.com, and it's all there. Well, I want to say thank you, first of all. I feel like in some ways, like, y through this podcast, I've, like, found the cheat code to life for me. Um, from like Indonesia to Morocco to, to here in Florida, I'm able to sit with people from a different world than I live in. And through the research process uh, for the conversation and then through the actual conversation, I get to to learn about them. And I think that if, if every, no one, not everyone can do this, but, you know, if, if enough people at least were open to and interested in learning about people and where they come from and how they live, I think it, it would do the world a, a whole lot of good. So I'm always greatly appreciative of guests for welcoming me, a weirdo, a stranger, into their home, for cheersing me with a beer, and for, for letting me talk to you. So thank you, Phil. You're welcome. One, one thing I'll add, it's good for you to see how other people live in different perspectives and what's fed through the, you know, the biased media. Mm. And when you get out there and actually talk to the people, the perception of what's on the street is generally the exact opposite of what you're being fed through the channels. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's amazing. I've done that on many subjects uh, with different people. And that's the problem with Americans. We, we, we have this dream and it all revolves around money. And money cannot buy you happiness unless you go to the pet store. Mm. And that's the problem. Not enough Americans get out and appreciate I used to tell some of my neighbors, they said they have problems or run around. They got it's a Chicken therapy. What do you mean chicken therapy? I said, go back, grab a beer, watch my chickens for a half hour. Mm. The problems go away. We need to just get back down to simple life's pleasures and appreciate what we have, and we'd be a much better country for it. And if you appreciate the simple things in life, that's living. And, uh, and unfortunately, as I said, our, our society goes in the exact opposite direction. So it's, it's good that you get out and sit down with different people and, and provide this to your listeners, who hopefully they will take it upon themselves somewhere just to get down the nitty-gritty dirt, especially here in America, and find out what we offer. Because this is a great country, and the opportunities here, and everybody should be out. You're born American. You don't have problems. Mm. And you've been around the world, and you know what? You've probably seen poverty and hunger and, and health issues, and there's no help there. And people complain here about things that are just so superficial. Mm. And I'm just thankful every day that there's not a gator attached to a body. <laughs> Part of <laughs> well, I think uh, 
I don't think there's a better way to end it uh, than that. So, so cheers, Phil. Thank you so much. All right, Voyagers, that is a wrap on episode 257 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thanks so much to Phil for having me at his house and for talking about gators with me. That was very cool. I'm thinking this was actually like the first that I've ever done in Florida, even though I've been here quite a bit. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, Well, hopefully I have more from Florida coming your way. And I'll be back in New York shortly where I've got some new ones booked and then some travel in 2022, which is really exciting. But for now, Voyagers, I hope you have a great start to your new year and however you're celebrating it. As always, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you very, very soon.